Welcome to Fast Growth Stories, the straight-talking guide for entrepreneurs who want to grow quickly and secure funding. Brought to you by EHE, where entrepreneurs help entrepreneurs. Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of Fast Growth Stories with EHE. I'm delighted to be joined by, I was going to say, investor, entrepreneur, founder and general all-round font of knowledge, I think, David Levine from Manchester Angels Network as well. Hi David, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you very much indeed. I didn't know whether to lead with investor or entrepreneur or you do wear a lot of hats, don't you? I just just make tea, that's all. Happy to to pour a nice cup and I'll Put the boiling water in at first, so that's all I do. Well, we do do like a cup of tea, don't we? So we were just having a little chat off air about what we were going to talk about today, and I I was really pleased, David, that you agreed to come on and talk on the podcast about your experience of growing businesses successfully, but not only that, but you put a lot of effort into the Manchester ecosystem, and I know you're hugely generous with your your time and 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 your advice with helping to founders to grow, so you really are one of those entrepreneurs that has been there seen it done it got the t-shirt and and helping others to not make the same mistakes but you know grow and and flourish under your your guidance in Manchester so I suppose without further ado what would be really good for our listeners if you could just give us a bit of a, a potted history and background on on yourself and your experiences to date. Absolutely thanks very much indeed for having me on. A range of experiences. So I worked for very large companies. So for seven years, I worked for the CTO Hewlett Packard, based here in Manchester. But I reported into my management, actually on on Apple's Apple's current office, but was our our, our Hewlett Packard site in in Cupertino, doing, I guess, the innovative things that would usually get strangled at birth if it were to sit inside the business unit. So we were we were out doing very different, very entrepreneurial things that was against the grain of of the big beast. I also was the global head of connected car at Vodafone. So I've had the, the, the big roles. I've worked in smaller, medium-sized businesses where I ran business developments for a connected navigation company. Here in Manchester, I spent a lot of time in Germany building that out. And, and I've set up a, a number of my businesses. And I guess the the first kind of entrepreneurial journey is I set up what was the time called jtunes.com, the, the Jewish music version of iTunes when iTunes was still in its yeah. infancy. And that was an interesting, interesting one. Probably the most successful we were was when we got a cease and desist from Apple and they ended up settling with us because uh, wow. we argued that we had good reasons <laughs> to use the J, but that was, that was a lot of fun. Second thing was I also set up a, an application for telling you a notification or sending you a notification at 8 p.m. the night before your bin was due to go out, that your bins were due to go out and what color bin was, was due to go oh. out. Wow. Uh, being away tra- on my travels a lot, I was getting in trouble by getting the wrong bin at the wrong time. So I set that up. And then in 2013, I set up Digital Bridge, now called Fixture. We used AI to help people design bathrooms and kitchens, ordinary everyday consumers like myself. Because today or, or at the moment, you know, you go into it, an IKEA, you go into a B&Q, a Victoria Plumbing, Victoria Plumbing, Home Depot, whatever it might be. And you have to speak to someone to deal with someone. So we created the first consumer-focused tool that allowed you to do it yourself. So a lot of experience in small businesses and large businesses and building businesses from a small, you know, from me to you know, forty odd people from taking investment from angels, from taking investment from from VCs and from private equity. So I've I've been there, I've seen that, and that most definitely have a collection of t-shirts. And scars, probably. Badges and scars, I imagine. Well, I did have more hair at the time <laughs> when I first started out, so we'll, we'll leave that. 
leave that. We wouldn't change it. So I suppose you really do have that entrepreneurial spirit in your in your DNA, really. For everything you've just talked about there is so vast. And so you're probably one of those people that spots an opportunity and then build something to fix it. Would that be right? Yeah, I'm, I'm you know, I, I roll my sleeves up, I think. So if, if I if I see a problem, I will typically get frustrated so that I go and fix it myself. Yeah, very small example was just before Christmas, I was frustrated with the loads, loads of tech events within the region oh, yeah. that were on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Right. So we went through this period of like three or four events on Wednesday or Thursday, one on the Tuesday and none on the Monday. And, and to the point that we had a, a great female founders event, at PwC round, which I attended. And at the same day, 200 yards away, at the same time, there was Meta running a female founders event. And, and that cohort is, is ridiculously mm. small enough anyway. So why, why were we splitting off? And so I went and built manchestertechevents.com, which is, you know, as it sounds, right, it's an event calendar for anybody to, mm. to add their event onto that calendar to prevent that type of crowding of stuff. So as an example of just, you know, luckily I have the skills, I have the tools and, and, and you know, have the ability to Google and figure out how to do something. And I will typically go out and do something to solve a problem. Bro, I remember when you, you built that because we had had a couple of events last year where you try the best will in the world, don't you, to check there's no other events on that day and you, and you believe that there's not. And then you find out when you're running your event that, you know, there is something like, say, similar, not just similar, but like right on your doorstep as well. And I thought it was really funny that when you built that, literally everybody in the tech ecosystem went, oh, thank goodness David's done that. Because I feel like everyone had waited for it, but you were the person that, that went and built it and, and ultimately solved that problem. And I think that is truly an entrepreneur. That's totally within your your DNA, isn't it? And it's something that I suppose we see a lot with founders. You know, they they identify a problem and they create yeah. something, a solution to fix it. And and the way I summarize it is, I don't really know a lot about anything really, but I just have comments that I'll figure a way of getting it done, even as, if even if it's with chewing gum and sticky tape. And I think. That's what makes an entrepreneur. And you see this, you know, that we have the most fantastic and incredible talent right across the region here in the Northwest. And that is, I guess, the, the common thing amongst them all is they'll just figure a way and make it happen. And that is the key. And one of the things we talk about a lot, EH, is, is for businesses and entrepreneurs that want to grow fast. And I think, you know, entrepreneurs tend to fall into two categories, some that are a bit more cautious, have a more reserved kind of sales forecast. And then those that, are, you know, totally want to sort of shoot for the moon and do as much as they can. I know in some of your businesses previously, you've built businesses that have grown fast and, and grown quickly. And I just wondered for you, what are some of the kind of key components that, that you might identify or absolutely fundamental for a business that is about to accelerate in terms of fast growth? Well, if you want to grow fast, you have to be prepared to fail fast. That's critical. You have to have mm -hmm. a really strong, rapid experiment mindset. Yeah, a startup is a constant search for a repeatable and scalable business model. You have a hypothesis that a certain problem exists and that people will pay to solve that problem, to have you solve that problem for them. That's your hypothesis. You need to build an MVP, a minimal viable product, get it into the hands of the users. 
and be prepared to iterate and to pivot and to fail fast. And that's how you grow fast. And that's not just on the on, on the big, the product level. That's at the feature and the benefit. And you should always delivering benefits, not features, right? But the, the smaller element, you need to be able to get, get out there, try stuff, measure it objectively. And if it ain't working, drop it, fail it, move on. That's really, really important. One of the, the things that I talk a lot about to founders that I work with and support is unlocking ambition. Sometimes we are afraid to be successful. We are afraid to make money. And I think it's unlocking that potential within entrepreneurs, as I see as my my personal mission and why I guess I, I spend a lot of time having a lot of coffees, <laughs> is you know, I will see an incredible entrepreneur, great team, great technology, big market, massively disruptive. And they'll be super excited to show me, you know, the revenue target of five million in three years. And I'll be like, no, that's just not, no, it's not good enough. We need to be, there's a zero missing on the back of that least, right? Yeah. And that's the only difference between us here in the region and in the US. And it is all about, and my mission is to unlock that ambition, but there is an additional level of nuance, right? So classic chicken and the egg. I need investment in order to grow fast and, and, you know, and show product market fit. I need product market fit to go and get investment. And, and like every region, we have a mixture of, of investors, but I would classify a lot of the typical institutional investors in the region model, but as really hyper cautious, um, focused purely on profitability, which is the wrong thing to be doing for early stage businesses. They are in reality private equity. They're not venture capital. And nothing wrong with private equity at the right time. So I talk about the right type of money from the right type of investor at the right time. But fundamentally, you have got to make sure you get that, that fit right across all those three dimensions. So the type of vehicle, the time and, 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 and the organization you're involved with. And sometimes those organizations will drive that really cautious behavior. And that doesn't allow you to grow fast. Now, particularly at the moment, it isn't just about growing top line numbers fast. It's about deploying capital efficiently, but you still need a mindset that allows you to do that. And, and unfortunately, sometimes it's the investor that can hold you back. Yeah, no, that's, it's, it's really interesting. Why do you think, or how do we help to shift entrepreneurs' mindsets at an earlier stage. So obviously, you're, you have amazing conversations, but you're not scalable across all entrepreneurs out there. And we'd like to think that there are more of you that challenge entrepreneurs to, to look at, like you say, adding a zero onto their sales forecast. But what do you think the reason is that the difference between the UK entrepreneurial mindset and, and the US, for example? It's, it's attitude to risk. You know, you'll, you'll sit opposite an investor in Starbucks and university on, in Palo Alto. And that investor has sat opposite a kid who has told them they're going to build the next billion dollar business or laughed at the kid, and the mm -hmm. kid has gone on to build the next billion dollar business. We don't really have that. And in order to raise money from the US, and this is a generalization, right? Of course, you know, with the right type of investors, they look at is the market big enough? Is there a problem there? And does this feel like the right team to solve it? That's what they call early stage. Whereas sometimes it feels like early stage investment in the UK needs 100K MRR. 
right? So our, our risk appetite is very, very different. And that's a cultural thing as much as anything else. Mm-hmm. That's about the amount of capital. But fundamentally, it's because we don't do a good enough job in leveraging the expertise and the experiences of people who have been there and who have done that. Because, you know, if you look at you know, the generation of entrepreneurs today that I get to meet, they're incredible, far better than I ever was. Not hard, but, you know, they are brilliant, really, really brilliant because so much learning out there, there's so much expertise that's readily available from podcasts like, like this, from some books, from people, from coffees, it, it's all there and people take advantage of it more. And I think we need to find a way to really take more advantage of the expertise that we have. Yeah, it, I mean, there are a lot of, I suppose, fragmented communities. And, and obviously, I know, David, you worked with the exchange program, which was really helpful for all the entrepreneurs on there. But it's like you say, I suppose the, the point is then for entrepreneurs, they've got to tap into the expertise of people that have been there and done it and, and allow themselves to be challenged in terms of their mindset. Absolutely. And I think people need to, to feel free to ask for things, right? So this will come to no surprise to you because you know me a little bit, right? But I'm quite outgoing, right? I'm quite extroverted. Yep. And I'll, I'll get myself stuck in and no shame. No ego, but no shame either. So I'll stick my hand out and say, hi, and David, what are you up to? Because I'm interested and fascinated about what people have to do. That's not easy for a lot of people. I think there are particularly underserved parts of the population, you know, whether it's to gender, to sexuality, to color of skin, whatever it might be, to cultural background, who have never been given that permission to ask somebody for anything, to feel like they can and, and feel intimidated or that they, for some reason, cannot ask somebody for something. And that frustrates me greatly, right? It really frustrates yeah. me because one of the reasons I spend so much time getting out and about and meeting people is because there are so many people who, for whatever reason, won't send me LinkedIn or won't ask me. And, and it's such a shame because I just want to help. I think one of the things I would give people advice to any entrepreneur listening is don't be afraid to ask for things. Don't be afraid to ask someone for a coffee to pick their brains. As long as you're respectful of the time, you know, mm. Half an hour every now and then is, is fine, unless there's a more detailed, specific ask. There's no problem with that whatsoever. But be prepared to ask and and push yourself out of that comfort zone to do so. Yeah, well, being an entrepreneur is about completely about pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, isn't it? Particularly in the early stages when you've got to wear a sales hat and you're not a salesperson, or you know you're not a tech person, but you've got to learn more about the tech. I suppose the other thing you're saying actually for people on the other side, which is interesting, investors, people that have been there and done it and been successful, is they also have a responsibility to proactively push themselves out and support communities like like you've just talked about, because not everybody, like you say, is comfortable asking. So if people can perhaps be a bit, a bit, little bit more like David, <laughs> I would like to know how many coffees you have in a day, because I think <laughs> I'd be absolutely... <laughs> Only the first one has caffeine in it. That, that, that's, right. So... I'll challenge you a little bit on, on what you just said. Mm. So I'm, I'm very careful about kind of pushing responsibilities onto other people, right? I'm not sure I would say that people who have been there and done that and been successful have a responsibility to help others. You know, we never know what's going on in the background, yeah, what's yeah. going on in, in their life, whether they have the time, whatever it might be. 
But I do think that people who have been successful, they, they certainly have that expertise, right? And by the way, people who have who've been out there and not been successful, they also have an incredible amount of expertise to share, which is of great value. Failure, this is what the US does a lot better than we do. I wouldn't say we should celebrate failure, but acknowledge the value in failure and, and remove the shame and the taboo of failing, right? Because there's no shame in it, right? There's so many, you know, a lot of those people who have been tremendously successful have come very, very, very close to failing. I remember I were very close with GP Bullhound, one of the world's foremost mm. technology investment banks, and I run Manchester Angels alongside GP Bullhound as well as with Brentwood. And I remember Hugh Campbell, the managing partner of GP Bullhound, talking to me and to others once about their investment in Spotify, which of course everyone will be familiar with. Mm. And he said, the reason why Spotify was so successful was that on a number of occasions, they bet the house on something working out. If this thing have not worked out, game was up, day is done, gone son, it's done, it's finished, right? And they did, and whether there's always a bit of luck and a bit of timing and, and, and all sorts of stuff that go into it and, and strategy and operational excellence, etc. But because they bet the house and things turned out right, that's why they're so successful. So even people who are not successful, there's a lot to learn. Yeah. From a, obviously, I always wear a marketing hat. So looking at stats and things people find interesting, anything where you're talking about failures and sharing failures. And, you know, we've run events, haven't we, in Manchester, where we've got really successful entrepreneurs to talk about the failures because the failures are what makes them successful. And no entrepreneur has a smooth path all the way through to, you know, making it as a unicorn. There'll always be failures, whether they're huge or whether they're, they're smaller ones. And you're right, it is important to talk about those because it's how we overcome and build on them. I suppose the other bit, it's not always about having 10 coffees in a day, but actually just sharing a bit of knowledge in this podcast is completely scalable now for people to be able to listen to that. And I know, you know, you are hugely generous with your with your time. And I think the entrepreneurs that you help and the, the ecosystem are really supportive of that. I'm conscious we're kind of nearing the end of the show today. I think the one thing we've not really touched on, which might just be worth talking a little bit about, is the Manchester Angels Network. It's about 12 months old now, is it? June of 22 is when we started. So 10 months old. No. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so you're planning your, um, the, the first birthday party, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> so, Man, do you want to tell us a little bit about Manchester Angels Network yeah. and, and where it came from and, and what you're so, doing to support entrepreneurs? So I guess this is a, another example of, of David Levine's frustration. So I was frustrated that I was meeting tremendously talented entrepreneurs disrupting really large markets throughout Manchester, and that it was really, really hard to get that first 250, 750k check over the line to build the first product, build out the MVP, to start testing the market, the product market fit. There are some investors in the region, typically later stage, some investors who are who are investing early stage and shouldn't be because they have the skill sets, and and it's it's disastrous, right? So I thought to myself, how how could we help get these businesses in the right direction with the right investment from the right investors at the right time? And I sat down with Hugh Campbell from GP Bullhound and said, Hugh, how do we do this? And Hugh said, Well, let's 
let's fix it. Let's do something about it. So we took a number of ad hoc angel investment networks that existed at the time, professionalized them. We put a lot of process behind this. And our mission is really, or the vision is really to, we don't want a big unwieldy network of lots of non-active investors who stick the word angel on their LinkedIn and that's all they do. We want probably no more than 40 and currently have 31 investors who will in effect not just bring capital, but bring their expertise to bear against these, these business with these businesses. And we've been really, really successful so far. We've got a great deal flow. We've just done our first investment. We're really excited about it. We have a number, number we're about to announce in the next few weeks as well, which is really, really exciting. Um, these angel investors can shine a light on the rubber holes that entrepreneurs could fall in and not know about for two years. Mm. And, you know, taking 100 grand, 200 grand, 300 grand from the right angel investor is a force amplifier. It's worth five, six, seven hundred grand because, you know, it's it's about how do you deploy that capital efficiently and, and and avoid the mistakes that we make, right? So we're really excited. We, like lots of other angel networks, have a diversity problems, right? So there are not enough people who are not middle-aged white males. We are lucky that we have, and sound pathetic, but we have four out of 31 who are female angels. That's actually quite good for angel networks. Yeah. That's what we need to know about, you know, with the exception of, of, you know, the tremendous work that women angels in the North do. There are not enough female angels and other diverse groups in these, in these groups. So we're working really hard to fix that. But, you know, we are eight, nine months old. And, and although I might be going at this as I do with everything with this, with the urgency of a startup, you know, others don't necessarily move at, at that speed and, and, and they're kind of looking think what we're doing is is successful so far. And I'm just I'm just hungry, right? I'm just hungry and, and yeah. drive everything with a sense of urgency and want to get more of these businesses funded and, and that's our, our mission, you know, as we move forward. Brilliant. Thank you. Well you know firsthand, don't you, how many amazing businesses we've got in in Manchester and across the north. So you know, the more of those we can help, the better. So thank you very much, David, for coming on today and giving us some time. And I could have talked to you a lot more about it, but what's the best way if people want to get in touch with you following the podcast? Shall we pop your LinkedIn details? LinkedIn details are the best, absolutely. Brilliant. Yep. And we know now that the first coffee of the day is caffeinated and everything else is (laughs) (laughs) decaffeinated. (laughs) thanks Thanks, David so we will pop David's details below if anybody would like to get in touch with him don't forget obviously we have also got the EHE channels there's loads of advice information help on there and the EHE team are happy to help any entrepreneurs who would like to talk a little bit more about how they grow fast and secure funding thanks very much everybody and we will see you all next week goodbye Thank you for listening to Fast Growth Stories. Please remember to subscribe and review and visit the ehe.team website for the latest on fast growth and funding. Yeah.